Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where we chat with startup founders just like you from all over the globe. Each episode, we bring you practical and actionable tips to help you escape the cubicle and begin your own startup journey. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. Starting the recording. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my special guest today is Robin Singby. Robin, thanks for joining me from the other side of the planet. Hey, Kevin, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. So if you and I met at like a networking event, how would you introduce yourself to me? Yeah, so 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 Kevin, um, given my circumstances over the past couple of years, uh, I think there's only one way that I could I, I can imagine introducing myself to people is that I'm Robin Singby. I'm I'm the founder of SmartQ, and that I've been at SmartQ for you know about a year and a half. Um, a lot of people have told me that's probably not a good thing to like you know associate yourself with your company or the company you founded because you you obviously have an identity as an individual um and i'm working on it but but right now i'm robin from smart cube and that's <laughs> that's all i am i spent 80 hours a week being that so i don't have any time for anything else yes <laughs> but yes. that is it that's interesting so so tell us a little bit about smart cube yeah 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 for sure so uh smart cube i started smart cube about uh, a year and a half ago uh, founded it in October of 2021, and um, the problem we set out to solve is how do we ensure that sales reps at software companies are able to do better demos, right? How do we move them away from doing their vanilla one-size-fits-all demos that they end up doing uh, a lot of the times, and that have them move away from that and towards demos that are a consistent across the entire sales organization so that you know you have a lot more predictability in terms of conversions um, because you're doing consistent demos and the second is how do you ensure that the demos that you deliver to your buyers are tailored or customized to their specific pain point right so that was the problem that we set out to solve with SmartQ. And the form that it has taken today is SmartQ enables enterprise software sales teams to create a library of personalized product demos that will help them close their deals faster because they're helping take their buyer to the aha moment or the problem solution fit faster. So that's what SmartQ does. So... This is, this has been a while since this has happened, but um, you have okay. you've said pretty succinctly what SmartQ does, and it has generated about fifty questions in my mind automatically. Okay. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to like go through my my library of questions right now that I've gotten this this jumble, and I'm thinking, okay, what's the first one I want to ask? I guess is it when you talk about demo, are you talking about the process, or are you talking about the mechanics of the or the the actual presentation itself or uh, both? both yeah both right so so one is the process that how do you set up demos or set up just like sales teams set up sales playbooks mm -hmm. can you set up demo playbooks that hey you know what these are my buyer personas these are my industries these are my use cases now can i have demos that are tailored specifically to each of them mm -hmm. so that whenever my sales rep needs to showcase my product to any of these personas or industries or use cases, they have the 
exact right demo that is relevant to right. that target audience, right? So that's the process. And the actual mechanics is also something SmartQ helps with, which is that, hey, it's not just a document that you have that you reference offline or before you do the demo. SmartQ actually, you know, lives on the presenter screen in real time when they are doing their demo and cues them up contextually that, okay, because you're presenting to this buyer persona and you're trying to showcase this part or this feature, this module of your product, this is how you should message it. These are the use cases that you should highlight. Mm -hmm. These are the metrics or success stories that are going to be relevant to the buyer that you're presenting to. Right, so so it, it it sort of lives on the presenter screen as they are doing live demos. Right. So, uh, you you can visualize it as a as a really intelligent teleprompter, if you mm -hmm. will. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but 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 it doesn't. It's not meant to sort of you know make sales reps robotic. Right. right? You don't read right. off of a script. It's just that hey, you know what? You have complex products. You now have X number of customers. Now you've generated Y number of case studies and you have all of these metrics that come out of it. It's humanly not possible for every sales rep to know every single detail about every single customer and, and every single metric, right? Yep. But those can be really important. And if as a rep, you are able to pull those up uh, when you're talking to specific uh, prospects, then that helps you get far and, and quickly with the prospect because now the prospect's like, ah, okay, you actually get my problem. Yeah. Uh, and you're establishing credibility that, hey, okay, you know, I understand your problem. This is how we've actually solved it. These are the people we've solved it for, and these are the results. So no like dilly-dallying about that. Of course we can do it, we're great at it. No, it's like, you know, we can do it and we've done it this way for this customer and this is, these are the results, right? So um, this, this sort of construct I think becomes really important in the context of virtual demos, because when you think about it, traditionally, a lot of the sales reps that were really good could use their charisma, could use their mm -hmm. rapo, could use their sort of relationship building skills to perhaps push deals through. But post the pandemic, you know, you, you, as reps, you generally only have like a 30 minute zoom call, which is cold, impersonal, yep. doesn't really allow you to, you know, look at uh, body language and, you know, uh, Plus you spend out. 10 minutes trying to get the tech to work. <laughs> I know. Right. It's, it's like, okay, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh my God. Like, so, so it's <laughs> so jokes aside. Right. But, but it is a it is a challenge for a lot of salespeople now in general, right? Good or bad, yep. or, or good or average. That you know, with the Zoom call, you really have to ensure that you grab the audience's attention fast. And the way you do that in the construct in the in the context of software is that you know your prospect has come to you with a problem, or you have during discovery figured out that they have X Y Z things that they are trying to solve for. So naturally, the way you can actually grab their attention and keep it is saying that, hey, this is the problem you came to me with. Here's how I solve it. Forget mm -hmm. about everything else that I have. Like, I have 10,000 other features, but the, the buyer does not care, right? They have their own problem. They have their own agenda. They're like, hey, you know, I'm trying to solve this so that I look good in front of my boss, so that you know, we impact these metrics in our company, that we will grow X, Y, and Z. 
right. can you help me do that? And if you're able to, to, to reinforce the fact that yes, you can, and you can do it well uh, with your product, uh, you know, you're going to, you're going to accelerate your sales motion. And that's yeah. the, the conviction that we have behind SmartQ and, and um, you know, how it can actually help sales teams. So my experience has been that uh, some of the best solutions were born out of the a need that the founder actually had himself mm -hmm. or herself. Yes. So yes. was that, was that the case here? Were you scratching your own itch and you think, oh, wait a minute, this has got some legs here. A hundred percent, actually, uh, Kevin. So, 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 I think a little bit of context will help you, right? So, I spent about twelve years working for startups of various sizes um, in in the U.S. and across all of them. You know, I was part of the sales team, so like I was at, at the intersection of sales and product. And uh, one of the KPIs for my team was to to train or enable um, our sales teams with the right assets, the right collaterals, the, the right demos, the right decks, like all of the information that sales teams would need to be able to do a good job when they were uh, trying to pitch our product or solution to our buyers. Now, we, we tried a number of different approaches to solve for this, whether it is, you know, deploying LMS solutions or, uh, product walkthrough tools or recording videos or even doing like, you know, quarterly upskilling or reskilling and certification sessions, right? But none of them really gave us results that lived up to our expectations. And I remember very clearly one of the big aha moments for me was during one of these sessions, I think we were um, deploying a, a tool and one of the reps, she came up to me and she said that, hey, Robin, you know, these tools and these processes that you're trying to implement don't really work for me because they, one is that they force me to change my existing workflow. Mm -hmm. And second, they, they, they're, not, they're not giving me results fast enough because, you know, as, as sales teams, we live and die by the quarter. Yep. And if I am not able to make an impact with these tools in this quarter, then you have to know that I'm not going to use it or you're going to have to try really hard to get me to use it. And for me, that was like a big aha moment. I'm like, oh yes, like, I mean, we're doing this for salespeople, but why are we not considering their very unique conditions, mm -hmm. right? That you can't, you, you, yep. you can't have them change their way of working. You can't tell them that this is a great tool and then that they can expect results three or four quarters right. down the line because they're like, well, we won't be here three or four quarters down the line if we're not able to perform now, no. right? So, so that was like a big aha moment for me. And then uh, the second really was the pandemic, mm -hmm. right? When the pandemic hit, I think the acuteness of the problem of delivering better product demos uh, was like, it, it really came to light, right? And then because virtual selling was now mainstream, right? It's not going away anywhere. Right. Now, a lot of buyers actually prefer getting on a Zoom call rather than coming out to meet you or having you fly out and meet them and right. them having to arrange lunch or meeting. They want to host you for and, half a day and yeah. we may not like each other after the first 15 minutes. Right, <laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, uh, and, and, and I, you know, I, think, I think there's... There's merit to that, right? I mean, there's yep. uh, there's cost savings to that. There's mm -hmm. a lot of efficiencies that come through, 
but but then you know you, you lose that ability as a sales rep to build your relationships yeah and now you have this 30 minute zoom call to really drive home the value of the solution that you're selling mm -hmm. so for me these two things really were the catalysts where i'm like okay i think there is something that we can really solve for here and that if we're able to address this problem then i think there is real business here so so yeah, yeah you know I, 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 so it's been like a 10 odd year journey that i've like you know this 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 needs solving right we tried a bunch success. of different things yeah <laughs> right 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 yeah. if you're competing you know and let's say it's similar products you know if if one of them if their demo is spot on and i mean you're just you're just knocking it out of the park and the other one's kind of yes. scrambling and going you know kind of working through this i'm just telling you about the features and you know, you may not need half yes. of them. It's not, it's not adaptable. It's not adapted to my specific needs. And, and it's certainly not real time that, that, right. uh, yeah, there would be one that would, that would, uh, certainly stand out over the other. But the th one thing that sticks out in my mind is the, um, the whole idea around it's easy to sell something that I can show you metrics like right up front, I can, I can show like ad spend. I can say, if you spend this, this amount, I can show you, this is the ROI over the course of time. But this is almost like, I'm, I'm going to have to, you're gonna have to trust me a little bit on, on the ROI of this, because it's a little more difficult to kind of quantify. Is that, is that true? And is there a, I guess a, a learning curve when you're trying to sell this product to, to sales teams? Here's a quick yeah, word so from our sponsor, Podbrand Media. As a business owner, new sales leads are essential. At Podbrand Media, we create a branded podcast for you to generate those leads by interviewing your best potential clients as subject matter experts. Not only creating great rapport, but also great content to share in your industry. Affordable and effective. Contact us today at podbrandmedia.com to learn more. Yeah, so, so Kevin, that's a, that's a really great question because you are absolutely right. You know, a sale is not made just because of a great demo it plays a part sure but it is not the only reason a sale goes through right um and for us where we've seen the most traction or purchase is in organizations where their sales motion is well defined mm -hmm. so larger enterprises where they have playbooks where they have specific teams doing specific things that's where the value of a product like SmartQ is really uh, easier to showcase, but if you're if you're you know a relatively newer or smaller sales organization where you know you you may be doing great uh, in terms of conversion rates and things like that, but if you if you're not actually tracking a lot of those metrics, then it becomes like you rightly said a little bit harder to justify what a good demo is contributing to the velocity of your sales mm -hmm. motion, right? So, so that is a, I think that is a very valid concern and we've, we've definitely encountered that and we've been iterating and trying to figure out that, okay, one, where is it that we can immediately showcase value? Mm -hmm. And in our case, it's slightly larger organizations or slightly mature sales organizations, right? right? And, and we're also working on, on things like metrics that, hey, you know what, is there a correlation between the number of demos done or the type of specific demos done 
to the outcome and the velocity or, or the speed of that outcome, right? Uh, are our clients able to see that, hey, you know what, by doing these specific demos, we've been able to close deals X percent faster, right? Uh, we're still getting there because we're fairly new and early. We actually officially launched to the public only in last September, so about four months ago. So we're working through those metrics. Mm -hmm. uh, but 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 I, I love how insightful that question was. Thank you for asking that. Well, you know, I, that's why I get paid the big bucks is to uh, ask great <laughs> questions on a, on the podcast. That but, was a great uh, one. Yeah, I, I'm going to write that one down. But I, it's <laughs> it's interesting in such a short period of time that you are already it's almost like you you like like accelerated the launch phase. And now you're in kind of the the iteration phase. You're, you're like, you know, we're, we're already we're testing and we're adjusting, you know, very early in the process, seemingly. But um, what are you what are you focusing on? What is your what's the big rock you're trying to move with uh, with SmartQ this this year? Sure. So, uh, you know, you're 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 very generous, Kevin, in saying that, you know, we we're, we were at like this this stage where we're exploding and, and iterating. But I think. Honestly, as a startup, we're still in that zero to one phase where, mm -hmm. where we have customers, sure, we have some revenue. Yeah, I was talking more behavior than, than I, like, it's, it's yeah. you're saying, you know, we're already trying to figure out where the impact is, where's the value add type yeah. thing. And I'm thinking that's a, yeah. that's amazing that you're already looking at that and you're not just going, okay, we just now know, we know where the bathrooms are and everybody's office. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a journey, right, Kevin? Like I think we've iterated quite a bit on the product side as well. Like, I mean, right. our, our first version of the product was absolute garbage and, you know, we sold it to people and we quickly realized that, oh my God, you know, this is not what people signed up for and, and we really need to go back to the drawing board. But uh, we got a lot of great feedback from people mm -hmm. uh, about that as well. And that allowed us to refine what we're doing. And then yeah. when we launched it in, in September, that's when we started to really see some uptake and um, see, see real value provided to customers. And that's, that's when we started to be like, okay, there is value, but like, how do we quantify it? How do we make it real? And then how do we continue to add and, and enhance the value that mm -hmm. we're providing, right? And um, there's, you know, there's obviously as, a, as an early stage startup, there's a bunch of things, but 2023, I think it's going to be the, the year that we kind of really refine our go-to-market, right? That how do we actually scale? And we're also debating internally there's there's initiatives already underway where it's like okay we can either go horizontal or we can figure out based on our current customers and the industry that they're in or the specific you know bucket that they segment that they fall under and then just go out and target those people because we have some legs in terms of you know results and and referenceable clients which fit this particular segment so let's go after that right yeah. and and i'm not a marketer or a growth person so that's the that's the muscle memory that I'm trying to build uh, this year. That okay, how does this actually work? Right? Okay, you first define your segment. You define your segment. Now, how do we go find all the right individuals and the right companies that fall in that segment? Mm. How do I actually approach them? Do I just send them an email? Do I send them a LinkedIn? Do I go meet them? Do I make a call? Do I reach them? Reach out to them on Twitter? How many times? Right. Um, right. 
So all of those things, like, do I go to specific conferences? Which ones do I go to? Do I have a booth or do I not? Right. Um, uh, do I do SEO? Do I do content? Do I do podcasts? Mm. Do I do, you know, do I do of videos? Of course you do podcasts. So, I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> I can answer that one. That's right. Check. <laughs> Check that uh, one. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, so, so really, you know, as, as, a, as an organization, that's where, that's what we're trying to figure out because uh, what we really want to do in 2023 is have, very meaningful revenue, mm -hmm. right? Uh, that that you know, of course, given the the macroeconomic situations and the the headwinds that that most businesses are facing, um, I think we're actually really well positioned to help businesses essentially do more with less, because yeah. that's what a lot of businesses are trying to focus on. That hey, how do we bring about efficiencies? You hear about you know, unfortunate, but you hear about like job cuts and things like that. Mm -hmm. But the underlying thesis there is that everyone's trying to bring in more efficiencies, do more with less. Yeah. And we're like, okay, so, so we know that that's happening. How do we capitalize on that? How do we position ourselves? How do we insert ourselves into conversations where these discussions are going on and then showcase to them that, Hey, you know what, we can actually help you bring efficiencies. So instead of, instead of like perhaps cutting people, how do you, how do you ensure that their, your, their output is is uh you know increased or multiplied mm. and that's where we come in so like you know trying to to bring about that element of uh of efficiency and and making sure that we are in those conversations that people know of us yeah. right so so that, that 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 may seem a little bit big picture but i think that's really the focus for 2023 because 2022 was all about product and refining the product getting the product right um, and, and sort of, you know, figuring out where our, uh, value proposition is, what sort of value are we adding? And this, this year is all about like, okay, now let's take this value to the users, uh, who will actually appreciate that. I, I think that, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm, I'm putting kind of the first half of the conversation and the second half of the conversation together. And, and, okay. uh, I want to kind of augment what, what you just said a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's not just increased efficiency it's increased efficiency that has the outcome of increased effectiveness and 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 there's like you you raise the bar for sales too it's you can be efficient and not have any additional revenue but i think i think you have you know you touched on the efficiency but i think i think the outcome is you're going to sell more Yes. You know, your because your demos yeah. are are slicker. They're they're more professional. They're more yeah. real time. They're more usable. They're more user friendly. You know, so to speak. So, right. Right. um, yeah, I I yeah, it's gonna be an exciting exciting year. And uh, I, I'm gonna have to circle back with you in about eighteen months and see see how things have gone. But uh, perhaps little, sooner. Who knows? Yeah, Kevin. perhaps that's right. I mean, yeah, you, yeah. You're throwing the you're throwing the playbook out the window. You're doing things earlier in the process. So yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> So I'm going to throw a little bit of a curve, curve at you here because I'd like to catch okay. people off guard with this question. But when you were a child... Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to edit it out first off. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. <laughs> no edits, but we are live. That's right. No, the uh, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, um, that's a funny question. And it is a curveball because I think my answer is, is, is kind of goofy. But I'm, I'm going to try and be honest and authentic here, right? So I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Professional cricket player. <laughs> I think that is the dream of every Indian. <laughs> right? I think I think that supersedes 
anything else. Like every South African wants to play rugby. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Right. So, so after being a cricket player, this, the second, you know, profession, dream profession that I had was I wanted to be a cashier at a supermarket. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> so, so, set that so bar high. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know it was kind of, it, it sounds weird now, but, but, uh, when I look back, I, I, I feel that that was, that was an interesting thing to want to be, because when I think back, what I realized was that in my mind, you know, being a cashier is not just, not just about like, you think of cashier, like, okay, you know, just, you know, you're giving out change and, yep. and that's kind of it. But, um, I used to sit at the cashier, uh, at the store that, you know, my dad, uh, used to work at and, uh, I loved it because what I ended up doing was I would make conversation with the yep. people for checking out. And then um, inevitably, I was like, I used to set myself or like my dad or someone would challenge me like, okay, can you, by the end of the day, ensure that you've sold like these five snicker bars, right? Um, to, to whoever's checking out. And I got really good at it, right? And, and I loved it. I was like, all right, you know what? This is too easy. Give me something harder. And, uh, so, so for me, it was not just the counting of the cash and be like, all right, you know, I can get it right. I can count my, uh, count the green fast, uh, and always give out the right change, but I can also increase, you know, in, in today's startup terms, I'm like, I'm going to increase your ACV or I'm like, you know, going to increase your, uh, order value. Yep. Uh, and so, so, so that, you know, that, that is why I loved sitting at the cashier. Like I, 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 I used to interact with so many people and then the regulars knew that I was a regular and then, you know, we, we'd exchange banter and I was like, okay, if he's a regular, he's got to buy more. And why is he need buying more? Right. And I know what he buys now. So, so if he has not bought what he typically buys, you know, I, I should know that. And then I realized that, you know, having those, that kind of relationship with people, uh, it really excited me. Right. And I think, I think that, 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 that mentality, I think has carried through no uh, doubt about you know, it. in the, in the startups that I worked at, you know, I think the reason I really rebelled in these, in these sort of hybrid sales and product roles is because I was playing like this. I, I, I was essentially playing quarterback where I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, you know what, we're trying to sell something, which is a little bit out of the box. So I got to one convince the customer that it's right for them. I got to convince the salesperson that, you know, they should have confidence when we're selling this. And then I got to have, and I got to take the product team into confidence and be like, Hey, you know what? We can build this. It's okay. Right. Let's, let's build this because we have this one customer, but I think we'll get 10 more. Right. So it was, it was, it was so much more than just knowing the tech, but it was more about building these relationships yep. across teams. So, so when, you know, when someone asked me this question, I, I kind of say it proudly, you know, cause I'm like, yeah. You know, if, if I hadn't done that, I, I don't know if I would know how much I enjoyed being around people. Nothing's wasted. I mean, in, in our historical <laughs> economy, our, our life economy, nothing is wasted. And I can right. see this actually living itself out, you know, in whatever the the current version yeah. of Robin is. But, it's, <laughs> you, you know, you've led you've led the company for what, a year and a half, two years, maybe um, it's it's fairly early days in the, in your founder, founder seat, but tell me one or two, just really quick kind of one liner things that you've learned that, man, I wish I would have known this when I launched day one, because it would have made my life so much easier that you think would be beneficial 
to people that are a little behind you in the journey? Yeah. So, uh, you know, in addition to being a solo founder, I'm also a first time founder. And so one of the things that I did not do, which I wish I'd done was delegate more mm. sooner. Right. Um, when, when I'm building a team, what I failed to see, honestly, is that, you know, everyone that's in the team has actually bought into your vision because you're not an established company. You're not like, you know, paying them uh, top dollar or anything of that sort. You're, you're, you, I've sold them on a vision and they bought into it. So the sooner I sort of let them have that autonomy and that ownership, yep. the faster it actually frees me up to do the things that are perhaps most important or the things that only I can do, mm -hmm. right? So, so it took me a while to let go and be like, okay, you know, this I'm delegating to you, you own it, right? And, and, yep. and, and I, I didn't do that soon enough to be very yep. honest, right? That's, that's, a, that's a pretty common thread in, uh, yeah. in founders. What, what's, another, what's another nugget that kind of sticks out in your mind? Uh, I mean, so, you know, when, when you're, when you're building a software business, you know, it, it can be, it can be tough, right? And of course you're, you're bound to make mistakes along the way, but one mistake that I see myself included and a lot of other software leaders make is not identifying and targeting a specific customer segment, right? It's like, it's like trying to sell ice to Eskimos. It's not going to work. So, 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 so you need to know who your customers are what they need, how your product can solve their problems. Uh, otherwise, you know, I would just be spinning my wheels and not getting very far, right? Um, so in my case, I actually, you know, I had those conversations and things like that. But the mistake that I made is I tried to build first and then have conversations mm, to an extent, yeah. right? I wish that I had not built anything. I wish that I'd just like taken my idea that was on the back of a napkin or just you know, like a, a nice image or a prototype and then just gone out and spoken to more people. Validated the problem, validated my approach to the problem, validated if that problem is, you know, solving a real problem for them or is it a nice to have? And then, you know, what I definitely will do uh, whenever I start up again or perhaps when we launch new features or whatever is build a wait list, like, mm -hmm. like get people to pre-order. Right there, yeah. there is no better validation of the problem that you're trying to solve than when people pay you without you with, with the promise of like you know delivery in sometime in the near future. Right, right, right. So, so yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I I wish I'd done more of that. Those are those are two really. Uh, I, I think they're salient. I think they're they're pretty broad. I mean, it's it it's not just specific to you know SaaS development or whatever. Yeah. It's it's just, yes. I mean, it can be go across industries and those, those truths are, yeah. are universal, but right. tell me, um, are, it's interesting and you, you disclose what you want to disclose, but, uh, are you trying to bootstrap this or have you gotten some backing? Uh, yeah. So we actually did raise a, a very small, uh, round earlier in the year, earlier in 2022, we're in 2023 now. Um, and, uh, a very small round and and really the idea was that I, I I was bootstrapping it but I was like okay I need to challenge my ideas and validate it and the only reason mm -hmm. I raised that money is so that it wasn't just like, hey Robin great idea you know go do it it's like okay 
are there people who have enough conviction and belief in the idea as much as I do and, and are able to back it up with, with some money, right? Uh, so so I, we did raise uh, a little bit of money and we're actually in the process of raising some more money now mm-hmm. uh, this, this quarter, hopefully. And the idea is that this time we want to raise these funds to actually scale faster, right? Yeah. Uh, go yeah. out, go out and, and uh, you know, preach the do more with less right. message that we have uh, to more people and it's get kind of figure uh, it out smart. now. Now let's scale it. Yeah. And you, you mentioned yes. that's kind of what you want to do in 2023. So it's, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, just not even related to a specific topic, but it talked about this guy was saying, do not do a pre-seed round. You know, and I'm thinking, you know, so that's an interesting, um, interesting question. Would you do it again? Would Would I raise that money again? The initial money would like if if you could roll back the clock 18 months or whatever, would you do the same thing you did to get to where you are today? I I would, without a doubt. Like, I mean, I I am really grateful for my investors and my backers. Um, They've they've been great partners. And, you know, the terms that, that I got, I was happy with them. And that's really what matters, right? Yeah. I think uh, there's a lot of pundits out there on Twitter and stuff like that who will make these one-line statements that, you know, raising pre-seed right now is a bad idea. Yeah. But it's all relative, to be honest, right? It's like, where are you in that journey? You are exactly what is right. There, what is the right, um, you know, uh, dilution for you as a mm-hmm. person? Because at, at a pre-seed level, there's less of a company and more of the founder, Yeah. right? And so what is it that you are comfortable with? Um, and so I don't think there's any right or wrong answer, right, right or wrong time to be raising money. It's like, do you have a clear idea of why you need the money? What are you going to do with it? And are the terms being offered? Do they work for you now? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think it's absolutely fine that in two or three years down the line, when your business is doing really well, you look back at your capital like, oh, my God, I gave up too much money or too much uh, you know, equity in the company. That's okay because what that means is you actually have a real business. Yeah, it is relative. That's exactly right. I'd love 10% of a billion versus 80% exactly. of 100,000. That's right. Exactly, right? So, so yeah, no doubt. Uh, to each his own, yep. to be honest. Um, and for me, I think uh, if I can find the right partners, if I can find the right uh, backers, um, I, I, I would be very inclined to raise. Uh, you know, another, another round of money. Yeah. Robin, I, I am thoroughly, have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the chat today. And uh, man, I could, I could just one, once again, just, we could just talk all day long and I could forget we were recording, but uh, we do want to, <laughs> we do want to make sure that, you know, this is a, a listenable episode in a, in a commute. And so yes. as we, as we wrap up today, what's one thing that, that maybe I haven't asked you about that you'd just like to close us with and then, also on the on the tail end of that say this is where you can find me uh sure so you know you actually asked me about um some of the 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 sort of uh mistakes that people made uh but but like if i had to give one piece of advice i think to to other founders um kevin it it really would be that don't be afraid to ask for help Mm -hmm. right i think as founders we we you know, it's just the nature of like, you know, fear of failure, fear of not knowing. We, we tend to like go into a shell. I know I do from time to time, but there are people who are rooting for you, who are championing you, whether it's your investors, your advisors, your mentors, your friends, your family, 
Uh, and the more you ask, the faster you will grow, the fewer mistakes you will perhaps make. Yeah. And you know, this this journey really of building a startup and scaling a startup, I think is is more enjoyable when you share it. Mm. Right. I, I think I think I, I I I definitely love for early stage founders to sort of, you know, really internalize that 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 advice. Um and yeah, to your question about where you could find me, you know, I'm on uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, my handles are my first name, last name, which is Robin Singby. Um, we also have a fledgling YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash at getsmartqueue. And then, uh, you know, I run a, a, you know, a weekly newsletter on Substack. So which is smartqueue.substack.com. And of course, you know, our website is getsmartqueue.com. Well, Robin, thank you again. I uh, as you had that that closing thought about you know asking for help. I mean, the, the thought that came to mind was you know OPM. We generally talk about OPM being other people's money, but I think <laughs> it also applies to other people's minds. You yes. know that that uh, you you that mind share can save you so much time and effort and money and mistakes and losing good people and you know all the right. things that other people already know that you don't have to you don't have to relearn every lesson so right. what a way to wrap us up today robin we uh wish you this the best in the future and thank you again for just playing your part and helping all boats rise in a rising tide have a great weekend thank you kevin i i enjoyed our conversation and um you know uh really great chatting with you we hope you heard some great takeaways. Make sure you follow up with our guests today and show them the support they deserve. As always, thank you for listening and playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide.